Are we allowed to enjoy this? Keanu Manny is literally an opposition scrum half's nightmare. People say I refereed lots of matches when I actually played. <laughs> I, I... The Red 78 with Alan Quillen and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the rugby channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. And a very happy Thanksgiving to you and welcome along to the Snap Your American Football Show here on Off The Ball. We are brought to you in association with the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. Check out details on Northwestern Wildcats versus Nebraska Huskers. That's at the Viva Stadium on Saturday 27th of August 2022. Get more information at collegefootballireland.com. Keen Faye is on a bye week this week. He's taking his Thanksgiving nice and fully. So we have a very able replacement. Matt Carolyn joins me on the line. Matt, how are things? Good Ronan, how are you keeping? All good, thanks for joining me on the show. Uh, just by way of introduction, we should get it out there. Unfortunately, you are a Giants fan, so you've had a, you've had a tough old year. And then in the last week, a Manchester United fan also. So a uh, few recriminations to coming home to roost over the weekend. But you're, we're, we're approaching positivity now. We're, we're approaching a good place, I think. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I'd subscribe to that just, just now, to be honest. But, um, you know, there, there was a point in time probably maybe 10, 12 years ago when being a Giants fan and being a United fan together was actually quite a good partnership. But I got to say that the two of them just seem to be in, in disarray over the last while. And there's actually a lot more in common with the two than, than maybe meets the eye, I suppose. There seems to be an aptitude from the top all the way down in terms of picking the right coach, picking the right manager. And even from a United standpoint, finding the director of football um, or from the Giants perspective, finding the right general manager. So. Everywhere you look, there seems to just be a negligence left, right and centre with, with both teams, unfortunately. Yeah, and you've done some good work over the last year or two on Off The Ball itself and obviously over at the thenohuddle.com still is where people can check out your stuff. So um, what was the genesis of your interest? I know you're a Giants fan, so I presume around that Eli Manning, those heady days in the 2000s? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I guess I, like most people, I suppose, once it came onto our screens, um, I suppose... It, kind of fell in love with the NFL pretty quickly between that and then playing Madden on the PlayStation in that kind of way. But um, I suppose having a journalism background and then Red Zone coming in on TV as well kind of just revolutionised and, and galvanised that um, tenfold. Um, so I kind of fell head over heels and loved the sport from then and started writing about it as soon as I could. Um, and like I said, being a Giants fan at the start of that was a good thing to write about so you could just be constantly positive. Um, but that's probably subsided a little bit more and have probably become a bit of a curmudgeon in the last few <laughs> years. So at least there's 31 other teams I can write about now. That's it. So yeah, the nohuddle.com is where people can check out your stuff each week and also otbsports.com. You do some good stuff there <coughs> as well. Just in, in broad terms, Matt, because it's the first time we've had you on this season, what have been your main takeaways on a macro level from this season? Because there's been plenty of intrigue. Yeah, it's, it's, been, um, it's been an unusual season. And I feel like we might say that on a, on a pretty regular basis. Um, certainly last year between the pandemic coming in and teams maybe not getting as much time as they would like in the off-season for new players to adapt or, or, or rookies to get jailed in with the team. That felt like an unusual season as well. But I suppose how you would measure how unusual this season is, I mean, I, as you know, I, I write a weekly picks column and that generally takes a look at every match and who we think is going to win and, and why they should win. And the level of upsets this year is unparalleled. 
never seen before. And, and I don't just mean the, the underdog winning a game. I mean severe underdogs winning games. So I think I read the other day that games whereby the favourite has four more wins than the opposition, there's never been a season whereby that team has lost more often. Um, and that's probably why you're seeing such a middling, I suppose, standard this year. There isn't really one standout team in be the FC or the NFC. Um, I mean, th- even the likes of the Chiefs, who have been quite poor, are kind of finding their way. And it hasn't taken long for them to move t- towards the top of the pile in the AFC or close to it, at least. Um, so it's just kind of been this smorgasbord of, of mediocrity, I suppose, in many respects. A, a lot of mistakes. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into it in terms of MVPs and coaches and that kind of thing. But, you know, it, it's really hard to find a standout player or, or, or a standout team or indeed a standout coach right now. And just on the, I know you assess different strands of the of the game as the weeks go by, but yeah, last season was obviously somewhat of an outlier given the pandemic riddled nature of it and also behind closed doors a lot of the games. Did that have any discernible impact, do you reckon, looking back, like certain players like Josh Allen took a huge step forward when he had no fans maybe. Now, like, yeah, yeah. Now absolutely. he's kind of, I mean, has, he, has he regressed to the mean a little bit now? Like I'm just using him as one example, obviously. He is one example. No, you're dead right there. Um, I mean, you can kind of draw that comparison again to go back to that kind of United Giants comparison. If you look at how well United did last year under Solskjaer, you could certainly make an, um, an argument at least that those games where it was nil all at halftime when they were behind, they seemed to come back um, away from home quite a bit. And, and maybe that was because the crowd weren't all over them and uh, kind of getting under the skin of the players and that kind of thing. And you could say the same about the NFL. We know what the Buffalo crowd are like amongst the, amongst the most raucous in the league and um, so when they're on your side that's brilliant but if they're against you maybe not so much and yes but buffalo have regressed um this season i mean i, I kind of had them as the super bowl pick um, in pre-season and, and in some respects i think they have a good enough roster good enough coach and i do think josh allen is good enough um to excel them back into a position whereby they could make a super bowl push he isn't performing um as well as he could be right now he hasn't got a huge amount of injuries to point towards and um, as an excuse but I do think what we're seeing from Buffalo right now is more of a blip than anything else. And look, ultimately, Josh Allen still has 21 touchdowns so far with six games to go. It's not by any means a poor season for him. I think he's just maybe taken a step back, but I've every faith in him to kind of kick back on now and, and uh, make a push for the playoffs. Yeah, and we might explore Buffalo a little bit more in our Thanksgiving preview, but before that, a reminder, we have a ton of American football goodness coming your way this and every week over at OTB Club Gridiron. That's our official weekly newsletter. It'll have highlights from this to snap, reports from games, early bird tickets to events, and lots more. Sign up now at otbsports.com forward slash club gridiron. Now, time for the pick six. Yeah, Matt, it's, uh, we're looking at this Thanksgiving fair and it's always a very enjoyable day for NFL fans where we get this sort of uh, early slate of action all the way through. But then you look at some of the games that are taking place and they aren't exactly the most appetising. We might get to the, the least appetising of those later on. That is, of course, Lions and Bears. But just to look at a couple of the other teams, like the Bills, as we mentioned already, are definitely Super Bowl contenders or tangential to that. But... The Cowboys probably weren't foreseen to that end at the start of the season, but have been quite impressive. So even though the games aren't exactly the most um, glamorous, you'd expect the Cowboys and the Bills to be keen to make a statement today. Yeah, you would. You would. Um, and I think the Cowboys game is on before the Bills. That, that's the late one in, in New Orleans. Um, so yeah, look, at Dallas are hosting um, Las Vegas, and they're in an interesting position right now, I suppose. 
Um, like you said, I suppose they kind of suffered last year under Mike McCarthy, and I don't think that was necessarily anything to do with COVID, but it may well have been something to do with Mike McCarthy's ability as a head coach. They've got a lot of wins this season. I'd be more in the camp of saying that's predicated on the fact that Dak Prescott is back. I think he's been outstanding. We talk about who could be a potential MVP candidate and who's going to make a playoff push. Dallas are in this position because of him and how efficient he can be. Now, recently that they're suffering a little bit with a few injuries, but I think a home game against a Raiders team who are, I mean, you want to talk about turbulence, look no further than Las Vegas. They're really enduring everything off the field that they could possibly have between the John Gruden episode, the Henry Ruggs incident. They've really had a lot of hurdles to jump over. And unfortunately for them, they've gone, I think it's three weeks in a row now without scoring 20 points on offense. And if you rewind back to even October now, Ronan, I think we were looking at Derek Carr and saying, this is an MVP candidate. Um, so it is such an unusual season that we're talking about him a month ago versus now. He's just not even in consideration. Um, I, do I think Dallas can, can make a push and actually make a Super Bowl run? Potentially. Um, but they need people back and, and they need everyone to, to be firing on all cylinders. And right now they haven't got those injuries. That being said, I think that's enough to get past the Raiders right now because really they're, they're suffering in a big way. And on, on Dak, because it's an interesting point, when he first came into the league, um, it was with in tandem with Zeke and it was very much a functional offence whereby very run heavy and he would be able to deliver uh, key mm-hmm. intermediate passes when the need was there but as you said they're a little bit injured on the offensive side of the ball at the moment has he progressed to such a point where you reckon like irrespective of the weapons he has at his disposal he can go out there and, and win a game almost single-handedly for Dallas or is he still quite reliant on, on those around him? To an extent, yeah, there's definitely some truth in that. Um, I mean, if you're looking at a case study at the game against Kansas City there last week, they lost the game and Dak suffered a little bit because he didn't have those weapons there. Um, But equally, lo and behold, um, the the Chiefs defense has just woken up in the last few weeks. They they were putrid for for the first kind of eight, nine, ten games of the season. And for whatever they've done, they seem to have addressed a few issues, one or two players back from injury. And Spagnolo, as we've seen in the past, is just able to get after the quarterback on those third downs. That, that's really making a big difference for them now. So when you couple that with the fact that Dallas are missing key offensive linemen, receivers, it, it's kind of a perfect storm in that respect. But equally, I suppose one of the strengths of Dallas isn't necessarily on their offense. From a DVOA standpoint, they rank fourth in the, fourth in the league. Um, so defensively, they're a lot better than where they have been in the past. And um, Trayvon Diggs has been outstanding um, in, in terms of the backfield. Um, so, look, I, I think they're, they're a well-balanced team. They have talent all over the field. Um, and it's not just, though there is a disparity between quarterback and every other position, it, it's not a one-person team. And I do think they have strength everywhere to make up that difference. And then, like, typically and possibly even at the start of the year, we would have looked at uh, Saints-Bills, which is a 1.20 a.m. kickoff today. Mm-hmm. But, like, at the start of the season, just given the glamour of the Saints and how the surge of the Bills in the last couple of years, we would have thought, geez, that's a cracking game for Thanksgiving. But the Saints are so mired with injury at the moment. And as we touched on at the top, the Bills have had, like, after that Kansas City win, which felt like a statement win, they've, they've regressed somewhat. Like, is, is this the kind of game that can get the Bills back on track if they win? Or are the Saints so injured that we kind of have to take that into account as well? Um, I, I'd be in the camp of saying that th- this is a game where the Bills have to make a statement if they want to get back on track. Um, so we talk about how th- they've kind of regressed back to the mean, and, and that is true. They have a habit of dominating poor teams. So they like the hockey, the Texans, they did quite well against Miami, the Jets, as you'd expect them to do. 
um, it's generally a good sign of a team if they can really put up a lot of points in these teams. And they have. They've been putting up 35, 40 points a game kind of thing. The, the Kansas City win was great, yeah. The Jacksonville loss was the one that sticks out in my head because we look back at the, the loss against the Colts and for, for Buffalo, I mean, yes, they put up 15 points, not a good performance by any stretch of the imaginations. But Indianapolis have been getting better week on week and I don't think that was necessarily astounding that they lost the game. The means in which they did was. Um, so it's more so games like the Jacksonville one where you think, well, what happens there? Is that just a blip or, or is there more to it? So for me, this game coming up against a team like the Saints where we have a lot of injuries, as you said, yes, they have a good defense, but really they shouldn't be producing much on offense. This has to be an opportunity for Buffalo to come out and make a statement and say, look, we're in this. We don't want New England getting back on top. This is our opportunity to make a push and show the AFC that we mean business. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on them because, as you said, they were being earmarked by a lot of people for a, a good Super Bowl run and we saw the chasm maybe how far they still had to go in that AFC Championship game last year where Kansas City were still the class of the conference and showed it that day but it's going to be interesting as we'll touch on later there are, it's kind of wide open in both conferences so it's going to be mm. it's going to be intriguing to see how it plays out in number two in the pick six we're going to give the Lions and the Bears some shine because God knows they're not going to get much of it this season so they, we're going to take some focus on them Matt for this um, this game which kicks off the Thanksgiving coverage and I don't know where you want to start we might may as well start with the Bears because the interesting storyline around this is that win or lose, Matt Nagy, there's, it's been reported, will be relieved of his duties after this game. To what extent that's true, we'll probably find out. Our listeners to this podcast in the coming days will know better than us. But has the Nagy project in Chicago reached the point of no return, in your opinion? Yes, in short, it has. Um, I think what's funny is Matt Nagy won Coach of the Year three years ago when he came, came into Chicago. And, and he was, I suppose, the beneficiary of a really, really good defense. Um, and he did so with Trubisky under center. So I don't think it was, it was a miracle that he got there. I think he had a really good defense and a pretty okay schedule that year to get him there. Um, the Bears are a great case study of what not to do with a rookie quarterback. And I think that's probably what Nagy is going to be judged on here when, when all is said and done. So they traded up to get Justin Fields, five-star recruit. Everyone says this guy is going to be the next big thing. And that's all well and good if you give him the system in which he can thrive. And if, if you look over a little bit east into, into what um, Belichick's doing with Mac Jones, Mac Jones has taken four places later in the draft. I don't know how much better quarterback he is right now, but I know for a fact he's in a system that enables him to play in a very simple, effective way. So if he's able to make simple throws, get simple routes and simple progressions, that makes his job a lot easier and lets him get into the game and can find his groove a little bit quicker. Justin Fields is the product of this system whereby it's a seesaw decision whereby do you pick Andy Dalton or Justin Fields? And that's got to be insulting as, as a five-star recruit coming to the Bears if that's the first debate that's happening. And so that kind of man-management by Nagy is shocking, to be honest. And I don't know how, Justin, how good Justin Fields will wind up being, but certainly he's not given the opportunity to get there just yet. And the other thing about Nagy, will he go or will he, will he not go? The Bears don't tend to get rid of head coaches in November or even December, they tend to wait until um, after after the, the uh, postseason or after the regular season if they're not in the postseason. Um, so although he absolutely should go and they could get a head start on that head coach search, I, for one, would be a little bit surprised if he was gone just yet. Yeah, and the, the Fields one is striking because you'll recall at the start of the season, Nagy was fairly firm that Andy Dalton was the QB1 for the season and then 
like almost putting the rookie in there buys you a little bit of time because you can point to that as a as a means of saying you know it's a it's a restart of the project type thing and they're kind of caught betwixt and between at the moment and the key point with rookie quarterbacks and we've seen it with Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence as much as they are there to blossom and it's all about progression progression if you're in a bad setup there's room for regression as well like if you take that much punishment and have to be running for your life you're not going to learn the the mechanics or the basics which Mac Jones is in that cushy position where he's able to learn all that. On that, uh, Matt, with the Lions now, who, like, I don't know what their long-term plans are with Jared Goff as their number one quarterback, but they're looking prime to be picking first in, in the upcoming draft. And yet, there's not a, a slew of potential long-term QBs there for them in the way Matt Stafford probably was when, when they picked him a, a decade plus ago now at this stage. But, in te like, the Lions project in itself is quite interesting because they've had these issues over the years, most recently with Stafford, where they let him go. Megatron obviously retired early and the list goes on and on, which points to some chronic mismanagement behind the scenes. But as a team on the field, have you seen any glimmers that they're not going to... Have you seen any glimmers that they might actually pick up a win before it's all said and done this season? Um, if, if you'd asked me that question in October, I would have said their first four or five games, true to Dan Campbell's press conferences, there was a bit of fight and a bit of bite, and um, not so much bite kneecaps as such like he, like he articulated, but certainly there was a bit of grit about them. I thought, yeah, they're, they're willing to play for this guy. But I mean, maybe a head coach that's been in his first year that hasn't had a team fight for them. It doesn't happen. Even look at Joe Judge in the second year. Players have too much pride to just down tools. They don't want to do it. Players don't want the number one pick. They want to prove that they're worth their contract or get a move somewhere else. So that's not going to happen on a personnel level. And maybe to his detriment, that fight that we saw in the kind of first five, five weeks seems to be subsiding week on week now at this stage. Yes, they got a tie on the back of their bye week against Pittsburgh. But if the highlight of your season is getting a tie after a bye week, it's pretty bleak. So in terms of what I'm seeing on the field, I haven't seen much that gives me a ray of hope. But if you just take into, I suppose, wider consideration statistically, how many, how many teams have gone 0-16 or 0-17 now, and obviously they have the ties so that they won't lose every game. It's hard to do that. It's hard for teams to go completely winless throughout a whole season. So when you take that into account, the only reason you would see them winning a game, in my view at least, is that it's just very hard for that to happen. So I think realistically, who could they beat? You look at their schedule, I think Chicago this evening, potentially, yeah. Uh, I mean, Detroit kind of get this Thanksgiving game every year, which as someone who lives in the time zone that we do, it's quite frustrating because you hurry back from work to watch NFL and you're stuck watching the Lions. And um, I'm not too sure what, what the kind of Premier League equivalent would be, but, it, but it's not nice. Um, but it's a novelty to us, you know. So I think if they, if they don't beat Chicago tonight, that's probably their best chance. I think they've got Atlanta again in two or three weeks' time. And if it's neither of those two teams, I'm not too sure where else they're going to win because they're not going to beat Green Bay or Minnesota in their own division. Mm. It's one for the purists, I agree, this one at half five. But we'll tune in, Matt. We'll see, we'll see what the crack it is, is when, it, when it all plays out. On to number three, and it's time to give you the floor on, on all things Giants here. It's clap on, clap off. The clapper is gone from New York, which is probably the, the headline news out of what was another dispiriting weekend. Like, I watched the Chiefs-Giants game in full, and it, like, as a non-Giants non fan or a neutral in general, I felt the frustration on your behalf because that's a game they should have won. So there have been those maybe moments of hope through the season, but at the same time, Daniel Jones, they're probably going to have to have a sit down and think about that now. The offensive 
system generally, it speaks for itself that the coordinator's gone mid-season. Joe Judge, who I kind of warmed to, just given some of the colourful stuff he was suggesting and got his players buying in to some extent early on. Like, you'll have a better idea than us. Like, where are the Giants at in terms of short-term, medium-term, long-term? I'm not too sure how the Giants move forward without cleaning house. Um, and that's not trying to be dramatic in any way, shape or form. They let Tom Cochran go, I think it was in 2016, and they brought in Ben McAdoo as the head coach. He got two years, he was gone. They brought in Pat Shermer, he got two years, he was gone. They brought in Joe Judge, he got two years. If it gets any worse, he'll probably be gone too. So we're getting two years, two years, two years. And we're not really getting any kind of identity with with any of these teams. Um, but the head coaches aren't necessarily the only issue. It, it's, it goes probably levels above that. The level above that is, is Dave Gettleman, the, the general manager who took over in 2018. So this is his fourth season in charge. And Dave Gettleman's manifesto from the outset was run the ball, get after the quarterback, get in hog mollies. And if you're unfamiliar with Dave Gettleman's, um, I suppose, range of vocabulary, what he means by hog mollies is big offensive lineman, which is fine. I understand you win the game in the trenches and have a good quarterback. So that was his kind of four-point plan. The Giants offensive line has ranked among the five worst in the league for four years consistently now. They have been in the bottom five in terms of defensive pressure getting after the quarterback five years in a row. They've been in the bottom 10 run games four years in a row. And they've had the worst offense in the league broadly over the course of those four or five years as well. So he has conclusively failed in every piece of his manifesto from the get-go. It, it is remarkable to, to witness. I remember in 2019 when they picked Daniel Jones in the draft if you ever get five minutes free in your day, look up a compilation video of fan reactions to the Daniel Jones pick in the 2019 NFL draft, and it will warm your heart because it is truly hilarious. The Daniel Jones pick, if you believe that your quarterback is going to be the be-all, end-all, and he's going to change your franchise, by all means, trade up and take him number one. Just look at what the Cardinals did by dropping Josh Rosen for Kyler Murray, and, and that's paying dividends there. That was a good idea, and it worked out. Daniel Jones at number six was completely unforgivable. Um, made only worse by taking... Barkley, who I love, by the way, I think Saquon Barkley is immensely talented, but at number two in the NFL draft, and if you've looked at how teams or I suppose successful teams have built over the years, you don't pick a running back with the number two pick in a draft. You, you just don't do it. You get a good quarterback, you get a good offensive line, and you go from there. But the person picking Gettleman and making all these decisions is John Mara. And do you know what John Mara did with his offseason, uh, Roman? I don't. You'll have to enlighten me here. John Mara campaigned to invoke the taunting rule in the NFL this summer. That's how he spent his offseason. That was his main piece of work that he did. Oh, that so not only has he made the Giants consistently worse over the last five or ten years, he's also made the league worse with this ridiculous rule. So it, it's morons run by morons run by morons, and they seem to make the wrong decision at every conceivable turn. Um, so the, I think the only way you clean house, uh, or sorry, the only way you move forward now is to clean house, start again, new general manager, new head coach, get a new quarterback, you'll probably be, uh, have two picks in the top 10 because they got the Justin Fields pick from the draft last year. So you could have two top 10 picks to get a quarterback and an offensive lineman and start again. To me, that's the logical route, but the Giants aren't logical. So I'm not too sure what they'll do. And just quickly, as a Manchester United parallel again, is there disgruntlement with the ownership to that end then, that the Maras are, aren't possibly focusing on the right matters and that if it is going to be a top-down written branch review that it might have to start with them. Yeah, it is, but I, I, I don't think they're going anywhere. I mean, they're a family-owned franchise in that respect between um, John Marin and Steve Tish. So 
look really I, I just don't see it happen if I laugh it's because I'm not crying <laughs> really I'm not too sure if that's ever going to happen so really just have to hope that they look inside the organisation and look there's always new talent com- coming around and look at NFL media if you like the likes of uh, Daniel Jeremiah really really bright mind who's been I suppose suggested as the general manager in the past mm. there's people out there who are outside the Giants organisation you don't bring in a golf buddy or someone you play poker with to be your general manager just because they know the organization. We've seen that at United, bringing in someone like Solskjaer or promoting Darren Fletcher to your technical director isn't the answer. You need to find the best of the business in order to succeed. And the sooner they figure that out, the sooner they'll be successful. No, it's great detail. And to be fair, the Giants are one of those looming franchises, even for casual NFL fans that they immediately relate to. So. It'd be good to have them back in the mix. I'm sure most NFL fans would agree. We'll move on to number four in the pick six. And like we should up the positivity here, Matt, because this week we're heading into now nine games between teams with a 500 record or better. It's the first time yes. that's happened this late into a season since 1970, which is incredible. It just speaks to the, the stacked nature of this uh, weekend <laughs> that's upcoming. And like yes. to that end, Jonathan Taylor has been like immaculate this season in many ways and was spectacular last weekend heading into what is a, a marquee matchup against Tom Brady and the Bucks. So we might get on to his MVP candidacy in a moment, but just on that, that the um, how competitive the season's looking at the moment and the Colts are, are right in amongst it. Yeah, they are. Um, and there's kind of a, a slew of teams that are just kind of uh, on, on the outskirts of um, playoff contention right now um, who kind of making that bit of a surge right now so I, I suppose the Colts are definitely one of them um when you look at Jonathan Taylor he's had a really good season um and especially in the last few weeks he's really exploded um both statistically and if, if you're into fantasy from that standpoint as well um but they, they seem to be making the right decisions and like Frank Reich is a really good coach I think he seems to have a grasp on what makes a team relevant every year and just consistently competitive. Uh, and that's hard to do. Um, a lot of teams are up and down. There's only a handful that are consistently kind of getting double-digit wins every year. And with the exception of one year, it looks like that's what Frank Reich is going to do with the Colts. Now, can they actually make a playoff push? Or it, beyond that, maybe even a Super Bowl push? It, it, it's hard to say. Um, I, I think their schedule is relatively favourable in the sense that the AFC South might be the worst division in the league. Um, and if it is, then you should be picking up wins there with maybe the exception of Tennessee. Even Tennessee are a bit haphazard. They're a team with eight wins. Um, as you said, it, it's been a bit all over the place this season. Um, I think the Colts are more than capable of making a playoff push. Um, and this game against the Bucs, it's, it, look, if, if, you're, if you're a gambler, this is one that you stay away from because it's really hard to pick. On one hand, you could say, yeah, look, the, the Colts are at home. They've been on a run recently. Um, and I suppose that they kind of have the momentum with them as a result of that. But equally, the Bucs have the best run defense in the league. Tom Brady, he kind of, I think he always wants to beat the Colts and the Blake Gate. I think they're one of those teams that he always wants to get one over on. And um, so, look, if I'm picking this game, it's one I, I'd probably stay away with. But um, if you're picking a hot hand, I'd certainly be putting the ball in Jonathan Taylor's hand right now and, and be going for broke with this game. Mm. And just on Taylor, like we, we touched on it there, but I think Andy outside has the odds on, on MVP for this year and he's notably mm. well down the list there. So a slew of quarterbacks ahead of him. Tom Brady, who we mentioned, is the current favourite, followed by Josh yeah. Allen somehow. I don't know how he's still there, but he's number two. Dak Prescott, three. Matthew Stafford is four. This is unbelievable stuff. Justin Herbert <laughs> is five. Patrick Mahomes is six. Aaron Rodgers, seven. Kyler Murray, eight. Lamar Jackson, all four. Lamar Jackson there yeah. and then Jonathan Taylor at 20 to 1 and like I put it up there just 
as a as a point of reference really because running backs never win these awards, Matt. But like, if I suppose if Derek Henry didn't wa win it last year, it's kind of diminished any hope that any of his successors might do it. And Jonathan Taylor should be in theory in contention right now. Yeah, he should be. No, you're dead right. Um, and I mentioned earlier that there's a significant disparity between quarterback and any other position um, in American football. Um, it's This award really should be the most valuable quarterback because it is its own entity in so many ways. Um, I suppose the alternative is that the Oscars, you know, best running back, best receiver, I mean, the list is probably endless then. Um, so it's probably a tricky one to navigate. Um, what, what I would say is Derek Henry didn't even get one vote last year. I think Aaron Rodgers got 22, 23. I think Josh Allen got four. Uh, and I think Mahomes got two. So three quarterbacks kind of dominated it. Um, and the thing I suppose about quarterbacks winning it is that if your team wins 12 or 13 games or, or maybe even more than that, and your quarterback posts plus 4,000 yards and around 35, uh, 40 touchdowns, he's the leader of that team that's gotten them there. So by virtue of that, it's an automatic kind of vote. Um, from the writers who vote for this. Um, if you go back to the last running back that won it, that's Adrian Peterson in 2012. The Vikings finished, I think it was 10 and 6 that year. He got them into the playoffs. They were kicked out in the first round. They didn't get much further than that. I think Christian Bonder was their quarterback. So they didn't have any notable receivers either. So they handed the ball to Adrian Peterson time and time and time again until he amassed around 2,100 yards and nearly broke um, the NFL record. So that's the kind of narrative that had to be in place in order for him to win that award. Um, it's not done easily. Um, it requires a lot of narrative and a good story to go with it. It's not necessarily just statistics. So for Jonathan Taylor to eclipse Derrick Henry this year and, and even get a vote, I think the Colts need to get 10 or 11 wins. And if they get 10 or 11 wins, I'll tell you now, it won't be because of Carson Wentz. It'll be because of Jonathan Taylor. So if they're going to get there, it's going to need to be in his hands. And it's not inconceivable that he gets a few votes, but you said at the top there, Tom, Tom Brady's in the mix. Um, I think he has 28, 29 touchdowns, very few interceptions. He could well end up the season with around 5,000 yards, 45 mm. touchdowns, and, and very few interceptions. And the Bucs could well get back to the Super Bowl. If that happens, the idea of a 45-year-old getting 45 touchdowns and returning to the Super Bowl just might be a bit too much for anyone else to beat, I think. No, that's a great point. And he is, you speak to narrative, and he is a narrative machine, Tom Brady. So uh, mm. it, like, if you got the stats and that story coupled with that as well, I think he's a shoe. And if, if they don't go off the rails, like if Jonathan Taylor scores five touchdowns again this weekend, we might have to rethink things next week. But uh, for the moment, Absolutely. I, yeah. I agree, Tom Brady's in the mix right now. On to number five in the pick six and winning and Vrabel. So, Mike Vrabel, if we move on to coach of the year, I think. He's got to be a leading candidate at this stage, and he takes on another candidate, I would say, his, um, his master or his Jedi master, as it were, Bill Belichick this weekend. He's had a bit of a, a hoodoo over him in, in recent seasons, you might say, but would you agree that Vrabel is the frontrunner for Coach of the Year at the moment, or anyone else spring to mind? In one sense, I would say yes. Um, Tennessee are, are quite an unusual team this year. Um, when you look at the victories they've had, I think they've beaten some, some great teams, the Chiefs, the Rams, um, to name but a few. And in one sense, you'd have to say, you know, they've got a lot of wins and they're leading the AFC. So, yeah, he should definitely be in contention. I was very quick to write off Cliff Kingsbury um, this season. I thought... The Cardinals were a product of Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins um, and just the magic they can produce. They did it for a while last year before Murray got injured and, you know, the, the cards started to crumble and, and it became quite evident that Kingsbury wasn't doing a good job. It was all about Murray. But Murray's missed a few games this year. 
and they still succeeded. They found ways to win and adjust, um, and they've got some great wins too. They've only lost two games. One was something of an anomaly against Carolina, and the other was a whisker away from a win against Green Bay. So that they could so very easily be 9-1 and one right now, in which case I think Kingsbury is the favourite. Um, but you touched on Belichick, um, and I'm a big advocate of coaches who can instill a kind of system that's time and time again consistent, kind of the equivalent of, uh, you know, who the band is as soon as the song starts before the lyrics kick in. You know a Patriots game um, just by the style of football that they play. You could say the same John, Har- John Harbaugh and what he's done with the Ravens or indeed McDermott, what he's done with the Bills. Um, so to have that con- kind of consistency over a length of time and to see that success return for Belichick in the way that it has, would I'd love to see him get it for that reason. He hasn't won the accolade nearly enough. Um, so I, I would love to see Belichick get it, but I think if Arizona can keep getting those wins, I, I think that's the kind of that's the narrative of an, an unlikely team become the number one seed in the NFC, and I think he'll win it because of that. Yeah, no, Cliff Kingsbury has to be in the mix, and it's probably something that's been saddled on him since he came into the league that he was dismissed as possibly, yeah, as you as you alluded to, kind of functional and possibly not warranting the the status or role that he was given but like the results speak for themselves at this stage and to your point like he's he's had to maneuver some tricky spots this season to to maneuver the Cardinals so yeah I I agree he has to be he has to be right up there and if we move on to lastly in the pick six just um, something that we probably haven't touched on all that much throughout the snap this season but teams that are probably coming up um, under the radar a little bit, Matt. Like we tend to talk about the the main talking points from the week, and quietly in the background, there can be teams put together some impressive runs. And Minnesota Vikings haven't been given much love in recent months, but to be fair to them, very impressive win over Green Bay there. And they've been right there from basically every game they've played this season. They've been winning a touchdown of winning it, so the record could look very different. And if they mm. are building to something and starting to play football at the right time, they could be a nightmare in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Minnesota are one of a few teams there that are kind of, their record probably isn't fair in terms of how good they actually are. Um, and I mentioned kind of DVOA and those kind of key statistical categories earlier. Minnesota are up there. Philadelphia are climbing up there as well. San Francisco, New Orleans. These are teams that are quite efficient and generally keep competitive at all times and perhaps should be better off than they are. There's solid reason as to why all of them aren't, though. I mean, I, you talk, talk about Minnesota. I'm not too sure. Granted, he was pretty good last week, but he was he wanted to throw that game away so badly that he wanted to give Green Bay to win, and he almost did. He almost did. Um, Kirk Cousins isn't going to win you Super Bowl. He might get you to the playoffs, um, but but he'll only get you that far. Um, a bit like Carson Wentz in that respect, I suppose. If you look at the Niners, they're defensively quite good. In many respects, they're one of the most disappointing teams this season. And maybe we're just, we still have a bit of romance about that team from a few years ago. They got to the Super Bowl and, again, they were a whisker away from winning it. I think Garoppolo overthrew his receiver in one of the last plays of the game for, for the Kansas City Chiefs to win it. So they, they tend to post losing seasons more than they do winning seasons. I think he has a 45% winning record now, Shanahan, at this stage with San Francisco. So... I, I suppose we're kind of holding on to glory days there in the hope that they'll come back, but they are still competitive and they are still relevant. Um, but I think of all those teams that we just mentioned, like Philadelphia, and I don't know what it is, whether they've just clicked or whether they found a way for things to work with Jalen Hurts and, and Devonta Smith, but they have something there and they have a new head coach who seems to just be growing on the job and learning it as he goes. And there's certain teams where you don't want to go to that stadium at any stage of the season. You, you don't want to play in Lambeau in January. 
you don't necessarily go to mile high. Granted, they're not very good this season, but there's certain teams and certain crowds you just don't want to be in that environment. And for me, Philadelphia is one of them. And maybe that's because I'm a Giants fan. I'm not too sure. But I just feel like when things get rolling in Philadelphia, I think no one will want to face them if they do get into the playoffs. Yeah, and the Philadelphia Eagles are 50-1. to 1, And it's something you and I spoke about previously that I can't recall... A, a season whereby at this stage of the campaign we're able to look at, at upwards of a dozen teams and think it's not it's not beyond the realms that that team could win the Super Bowl and the Eagles at 50 to 1, 49ers 50 to 1, Vikings 50 to 1, Coles 33 to 1 like there's, no, there's nothing to say that they can't put a Giants-esque run together and get to the Super Bowl here or at least make yeah, some noise in the playoffs like no, absolutely not. And I suppose if you use the Giants as an example there from, from I think it was 2011 season when they got there and even before that, they got there in part because of Eli Manning kind of getting hot at the right time, but equally because they had the likes of Obanura and they had Tuck and they had Strahan and they, they had these defensive guys who really just galvanised them. Um, so having a really good defence really matters when it gets to that stage. And if you look at all those teams, the Eagles are getting better in that respect. San Francisco are very, very good in that respect. Um, the Saints are very good, but I just think they have so many injuries that I'm not too sure they can get there. The Colts are interesting, and they, they really are interesting. But like I said, I really have like, struggled to put my faith in Carson Wentz to get in there, despite having a really good defense. So of all those teams, for me, I, I could see maybe San Francisco or possibly Philadelphia, maybe just getting in there and, and getting a bit of momentum at the right time. Yeah, and just before we wrap this week, every week listeners to The Snap are in with a chance of winning some cool branded beanies and merch. To enter, simply select the winner in our Game of the Week competition. This time it's the LA Rams at Green Bay with the hometown Packers favoured by one point. Send your pick to us on that one at Off The Ball using the hashtag OTBSnap. Matt, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who are you favouring there? In a word... Packers, um, but I have to say you have to give credence to the fact that the Rams are coming off a bye week, they're coming off two losses um, and Sean McVay isn't someone who, who necessarily just takes a bye week off after two losses. I have no doubt he'll, he'll have been head down trying to get his game plan right because he's coming up against his, his old friend in Matt LaFleur. Um, but, but they got the better of them last year in the playoffs. I don't know how good the Rams are right now. They seem to be going through a bit of a weird patch. Um, and you know what, the Packers, or sorry, the Packers under Lafleur are four and one against teams coming off the bye, so they're a very well prepared team, and they generally don't lose two games in a row either, and they're at home, and mm. it's winter, so there's a lot of factors there that would lead me to believe that Green Bay takes this one. That's it, and for the Rams, I think it literally is just a matter. Let's stumble into the playoffs. Let's just get there, and once we're there, <laughs> once we're there, we'll once we're there, if we're somewhat healthy, we're going to be a nightmare for people. So that's, I'd say, that's the yeah. game plan for them. Matt, it's been brilliant yeah. having you on this week. Thanks a million. Not at all. Thanks, Adam. Pleasure having me on. And thanks to JP and Andy for helping put the show together. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week.